Great is your faithfulness. How beautiful is that? Um, it was my pleasure to come up and pray uh, this morning. And as I was praying about what to pray, isn't that funny? <laughs> I just had a sense of wanting to pray over you guys, pray for you guys and pray over you. So will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I just thank you for each and every person that's sitting here today. And I thank you for each person that is online watching from wherever they are. And I thank you for anyone that listens to this uh, in a recording later. Lord, I just ask your blessing and peace over them. Lord, for those who are weary, give them rest. For those who are unwell, bring healing. For those who are fearful, bring peace. For those who are hurting, bring comfort. For those who are seeking direction, give your wisdom. For those who don't know you, reveal yourself. For those who are burnt out, give them the chance to stop and just look to you. For those who are anxious and worried, give them reassurance. For those who are questioning their purpose, show them your way. For those who are struggling to trust you, show them you are trustworthy. For those who are facing things that they think are beyond their abilities, enable them. For those who are in a place of darkness, bring light. For those who are feeling uninspired, bring purpose and joy. Lord, I just thank you that you are provider. You are the enabler and you are the sustainer. Lord, I thank you for your great love, for your mercy, for your forgiveness, for your compassion, for your faithfulness. And Lord, I just pray over each of these people here, wherever they are at, I thank you for your great love for them personally, that they might know you, know you as provider, know you as enabler, and just know that they are um, they have power through the Spirit to do what you have for them to do. Thank you for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Mon. I'd just like to in, invite Mike Russell up to the front now. So Mike's um, going to share the message with us today. So really looking forward to what you have to say, Mike, and just invite you forward now. Thank you. Lovely to be here with you. And, uh, yeah, a bit of a treat, really. Thank you. Enjoy this. Thank you so much, Wayne. Long. It's been advertised as the second brother or something, but um, it's the parable of the two sons. And don't say you heard it last week. We'll get there in a moment. The journey home. I'm going to put my glasses on. This is sort of the journey home as we're getting older. Dan, you were doing that the other week, weren't you? Earlier this year, I spoke on the theme of getting safely home, and we looked at the image of sailing and music. If you remember, we sang, We are sailing... And if you remember the story of the, behind that song, it's a spiritual odyssey through life on our way to freedom and fulfilment with the supreme being. Well, since that talk in January, uh, Bev and I have been through some pretty big storms on the next leg of our journey. And some of you are aware of that. My apologies, Bev's uh, not well today. She had a COVID jab on Friday 
and she's uh, staggering a bit, and I apologise I wasn't here yesterday, but you had your job, I had mine, so I had to look after my beloved. So, so hello, darling, she's probably on screen, Jenny probably, and Nadine, and many others, God bless you, love to see you this morning. Well, when I was discussing some of these happenings and some of the things that are going down, a dear friend of mine uh, lent me a book called The Return of the Prodigal Son. Is that a bit echoey? Is it just me? It's probably my hearing aids, which I haven't got on. They're at home. It's amazing how you can hear them from there. The Return of the Prodigal Son, the story of homecoming, written by a man called Henry J. Nguyen. I'd like to continue then this theme of coming home, but this time through a painting. Ba-bom! Thank you, Dave. When... There we go. It's a painting. We're having a bit of culture, so we're having music and now painting. My hope this morning is that you'll be challenged to think a little more widely and see some of the things from a slightly different perspective. Now, last week, as many of you are aware, Pastor Bill illustrated part of his sermon speaking about Jesus' classic uh, parable about the returning of the prodigal son. And I thought he was going to give the talk that I'd been preparing. I was a bit miffed. But, so if you missed it, you can uh, pick it up online and I can sit down and we can all have coffee. <laughs> but he only touched the first third and there's two more other bits. Henry Nguyen was a Dutch-born Catholic priest. He's a professor, pastor and author. He was able, amazingly, to spend nearly two whole days studying this painting by the 17th century Dutch artist Rembrandt. It was in the Hermitage Museum in St. Petersburg in Russia. Anybody seen it? Has anybody been there and your travellers? Not a hand. Well, when COVID's finished, oft you go. <laughs> uh, and yes, you may have noticed a copy of the painting as you came in. Well, you didn't because it's at the front. So, that's, uh, so don't read your notes, Michael. Just talk. Thank you, Dave. Right. So let us familiarise ourselves with the parable as told by Jesus in Luke 15, 11 to 32. Let's just whip through this, if I may. And it reads, So Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything... There was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went, hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my dad and say to him, dad, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hard men. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. 
Joy, joy, joy. Gosh, you're a time lot this morning. Haven't you had coffee yet? Joy. Dad was so delighted. Uh, so they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard the music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked him, what's going on? He said, your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf and call for him. Calf for him, sorry. My son, the father said, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Thank you. So it's an amazing story. There's so much in here that it's just not fair. We've got such a short time to think. But let's go back to the picture, Dave, if you would. And I really would want you to see, have a good look. Tell me what you see. Now, this is not a rhetorical question, and I'm very interested in your observations. So, so just for the sake of order, if you could wave your hands when you see something, then I can just ask you to shout it out so we don't get... Too many people speaking at once, so it's interesting that we're here. So just have a, a pause for a moment. Look at the, just look at different things on the, on this, on the picture. Get out of the way, Michael, so people can see it. So, anybody, what do you see? Don't be shy. There's no right or wrong. Sorry, there's no. There's, we all see different things. You'll see one thing. Your neighbour will see something completely different. There's a voice. Thank you, Diane. Okay, the son is very repentant. He's he's falling at his father's feet. Lovely. Carol. I've seen this picture before, but I just noticed that one of his shoes is off. Yes. <laughs> yeah, lovely. Okay, uh, Carol's saying one of his shoes is off. Not much of shoes if you look at them. Uh, Joe. Blessing. Blessing. Father's blessing, isn't it? The hand of blessing. Beautiful. Thank you. A couple more. Marguerite. Lovely. There's, there's figures in the background. There's actually another one right up the top, uh, a number of figures observing, you know. It's life, isn't it? We're looking. What is this going on? Thank you. Great, great comments. A couple more. Ali. Outpouring of grace, isn't it? Look at, look at the uh, – it's lovely. You look at the light coming from the Father through his hands. Can I encourage you, just look at those hands for a moment. Look very carefully at those hands. What can you see? So there was a comment on the hands, but the father's the only one embracing him. Uh, yes, the one's embracing him, thank you. Yes, yes, right, lovely. Yes, Father's the one who's embracing him. There's contact there, physical contact. Just look at the size of the hands. I don't know if you can see that. The one on the, on the left is smaller, it's thinner, narrower fingers. The one on the right is quite chunky. 
One looks like it's a male hand. Possibly the other might be. All right. So you're just getting, there's a lot in that picture. You can see this man stood and looked at it for two days and then wrote a book. Sadly, we've only got 20 minutes. Okay. So let us consider then the context of Jesus' parables in Luke 11. Before the story of the prodigal, he was, uh, uh, before the, sorry, before the story of the prodigal. So who was he addressing and what was the topic? It was the Pharisees, of course, and the lost. So even this morning we have a, have a beautiful story about a lost dog. So if you're lost this morning, this is the place to be. In fact, there were actually, as we know, uh, so there was, Michael, just slow down. There were lost sheep, one of a hundred. There were a lost coin, one of ten, a lost son. All being found. In fact, there were actually, as we know now, two lost sons. The painter's own journey is described by Nguyen as saying, Rembrandt had lived a life in which neither the lostness of the younger son or the lostness of the elder son was alien to him. He could relate to both. Both needed to come home. Both needed the embrace of the forgiving father. He was able to paint this revealing picture at the end of his life after much suffering, and you can see that in the father, can't you? You can see, in fact, he's, he's nearly blind, he's old, he's stooped, he's suffered, but he's blessing. So remember this painting is not an exact version of the parable. The father representing God, as we know, God is not an old man sitting on a cloud. He's certainly not blind. But the elder son is not at home, actually, when, when uh, the father receives him. He's out in the fields, as we know, doing his doing his thing but this picture reflects the spirit of the story through Rembrandt's eyes so the first part of the story which Bill spoke about last week is about the younger son's journey and often we stop there and we major on the forgiveness and uh, acceptance and safe return to home after the son realizes what he has missed he does that 180 degree turn which we call repentance and he's restored to his father a wonderful illustration of the gospel. But Jesus spoke about a man having these two sons, the older son who was very different from his rebellious sibling. This son was reliable, obedient, lived to do his father's bidding. But when the older son heard that his wayward brother had returned and that his father had welcomed him back, he became incensed. In fact, when he heard the music and dancing, as we read, he refused to join that celebration. Instead, he had his own pity party in the field. But when the father discovered that the elder son was not at home, true to his character as a dad, he went out to find him. Nguyen makes an interesting personal observation here. He says that my true freedom I cannot fabricate for myself. My true freedom I cannot fabricate for myself. This must be given to me. I am lost. I must be found and brought home by the shepherd who goes out to me. Interesting thought, isn't it? So he's really relating to this. He realises he can't fix things for himself. He has to be found. He has to be restored by the shepherd. So it's a spiritual odyssey, isn't it, he's, he's, that uh, Nguyen's been on and also uh, Rembrandt as he's looking at this. Where have we heard that before? <laughs> the journey home, freedom and fulfilment in the supreme being. The father begged his 
older you know, he's furious and all that. And it's actually, a lot of people sympathise with the elder son because they say, you know, I was doing the right thing and he's doing the right thing and, and uh, you know, what, what, why? Uh, Sky Jathani in a book called With is very helpful in regarding understanding these two sons. And I quote, quote him a little bit, but the first uh, story uh, son has a core characteristic of what he calls a life from God. And some of us live that way. What can I get from God? Well, you know, joy's world and all the bits and pieces, but what can I get from God? And, and so the, we see the younger brother grabs it and, and, and runs away. But the older son is different. He, uh, he, he lives a life for God. And really to understand this in more detail and it would, is, is to read the book, but he's living for God. So he's being dutiful. He's being uh, obedient. He's doing all what appears to be the right thing. But Jesus didn't praise the older brother either. In fact, his purpose in telling the parable is to show how both sons were lost. Both ways of relating to God the fa- or the father missed the point. To help us understand this, we need to look more carefully at the words that the elder son says and it shows something quite disturbing. Notice where the older son rooted his significance. All these years I've served you. I never disobeyed your order. The older son lived to serve his father. But as for service, for this service, he was expecting a reward. In this way, it's really no different from the younger son. Neither boy was particularly interested in a close relationship with the father. Instead, both were focused on what they might get from him. And then an interesting take. You know, it's not, they didn't really, really want dad. They were doing things for him or grabbing things and running. The younger son simply took what he wanted, but the older son, being more patient and disciplined, worked for it. So what is our true motivation? Do we really want God or what we can get from him or get from life? You know, we hear people say sometimes that, uh, you know, when I die, I'm going to heaven, I'm going to be there with me mates or I'm going to see mum or I'm going to see, you know, they're all looking forward to seeing family members or something. And in fact, when we die, we're going to God. <laughs> and that's a really important thing, isn't it? It's Yes, those other things we may may well see in, in, a, in a different form to as we understand it but primarily when we die says it's given what to man wants to man to live to live uh, to, to die and then comes the judgment but we will actually stand before God and for those of us that love him and know him what a great day that's going to be poor you look excited about the news <laughs> what a great day that's going to be here is the creator of the heavens and earth that embraces you, throws a party for you. He's just a wonderful, wonderful person. This is, this is the, uh, pro, oh, it's a lovely long Latin word. Don't worry, Mike. It's a lovely thing. But this is the God of glory, and he's welcoming us up into his family. I'm looking forward to it. I really am. And you understand why Paul says that I'm torn between uh, wanting to go to be with God. I, I want to worship. I want to be in his presence. And he's torn between that and staying here and helping other people find God on the journey. He's torn between that. He sees a vision of what it's going to be like. He wants to be there. Turn the page slowly. Both sons were self-serving. 
One just happened to be a bit more socially acceptable. Jesus told this parable at a gathering of religious teachers and Pharisees. They were very devoted men who drew a great deal of significance from their position and service for God. Look at the guy on the left. What does he look like? But Jesus reminded them that they didn't recognise him. Was Jesus trying to tell them there was something wrong with serving God or faithful obedience? Of course not. The problem comes when we find our significance and worth in serving in obedience. Obedience gave the older son, as it did the Pharisees, a sense of self-righteousness, a smug assurance, smug arrogance that became bitterness, resentfulness and anger towards those who seemed less valuable. Think Jews, Gentiles. But is our heart filled with a love for God himself? An old hymn is that we used to sing years ago if you're in a Methodist is there room in my heart for you, Lord? Is there room in my heart? And I remember sitting there in a church full of older people and singing, yes, Lord, there's room in my heart. I was amazed because there were people like you, very conservative, very well-behaved. But when they got the chance to respond, yes, Lord, there is room. And the roof nearly lifted off that church. It just, it was amazing, the response to the love of God. So in all the three lost stories, the parables, the Pharisees know that Jesus is getting stuck into them and they're very angry. They don't like that. They don't like to be told. The various thoughts and commentaries and all sorts of information uh, that you can read and they're all good value points like as you look at the picture, you'll see different things and there are many different things as people look at this parable. But I wonder, I seem to think that uh, Jesus is pointing out that they're so busy doing things for God that they do not recognise who he actually is. It seems that the behaviour of the religious people is preventing lost people actually finding God. No wonder Jesus is angry. One commentator points out that Jesus attracted the lost. They loved him, didn't they? The crowds came to him. But the religious drove them away. This commentator asks, What kind of people make up the majority in our churches? Are they lost people coming to find Jesus? Or are they religious? That's a bit of an in-your-face question, isn't it, John? (laughs) Jethani continues to say that Jesus was not dismissing the older son's obedience just as he was not endorsing the younger son's immorality. He was showing them both that the relationship failed to capture what truly deserves and desires from his people. Pouring lives into mission that we believe pleases God is not the centre of the Christian life. God is. Paul, again, despite all that he was able to do and the, the whole of the story in the New Testament, said it's not about the mission, but he says it's knowing Christ. I want to know him more. I want to know this Jesus. I'm pushing on. And he says, I haven't achieved it all yet. I haven't got to that point where I know really who he is, but I strive to get there. That's Paul. There's work involved with this, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I don't mean whether you get in or not. It means do you understand the journey? Are you on this thing? Coming to find yourself in God. 
How do you see God as the questions are being asked through this thing? In order to discover what cares about most, we must look closely at the father's response to the older son in Jesus' story. Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. We sang about God's faithfulness. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this brother was dead, and we're dead. Without Christ, we are dead. He that has the son hath life. Who doesn't have the son doesn't have life. He was lost, but he's found. What brought the father joy was not the older son's service, but simply his presence, having his son with him. Do you remember? I'll tell a bit more of my story in a moment. But in one of the special days I remember as a, as a young fellow, probably in primary school, uh, was spending a day. I was in a family of three, two sisters and myself. One day, Dad took me, just Dad and I, and we went uh, fishing. We went to a canal near, near where we lived. Uh, we took a primer stove, an old brass primer stove. Anybody know what that is? Some of you. <laughs> a cooking instrument, like a gas stove, primer stove. We cooked sausages, big fat pork sausages. We went fishing by lock in this canal, and I had a little little plastic uh, uh, lure. And I put it in, and, and as I was pulling out, this huge great redfin came out of the depths and was going for it. And I was so excited, I pulled the, pull the thing out too fast, and I missed the fish. Why can I remember that story? I can remember the details. I can tell you what the weather was. I know exactly where it was. I could take you there today. Because I was hanging about with my dad, just him and I, nobody else. We spent time together. It sticks in my mind 60-something years later. I spent a day with my dad, just he and I, just hanging about with dad. Amazing. That's what he wants. There's more to that. You know there's more to that. But that's the bottom line, isn't it? Just hanging about with dad. Jesus said, I only, I only do what I see my father doing. I only say what dad says. When he shows me stuff, I do it. Like the lady, be prompted by the spirit, return the dog. <laughs> it's what Carol said, it's not hard. It's not hard living this relationship. It's not about doing as much as being. So what the father cared most about was not his property and which son received more, but while they were fixated on their father's wealth, he was fixated on them. This is what many of us fail to understand. It's not about, it's not about us. <laughs> it's not about us. God's gifts are a blessing and his work is important, of course, but neither can nor should replace God as our focus. Isn't the shorter, um, is Trevor, Trevor, you're not here, are you? He, he would have this on his toilet wall. If you know Trevor, he has all these things. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. The first commandment is love the Lord your God with all your and all your soul with all your might and all your strength. And then out of that, love others. Out of that relationship. Love others who are your neighbours. Reversing the rebellion of Eden 
and restoring what was lost can only be accomplished when we learn that at the centre of God's heart is having his children with him. I can relate very, very, um, very closely to the story, the painting, Henry Nguyen's story. It's a beautiful book. I really encourage you uh, to get hold of it. 20 bucks at uh, Kurong on the special. <laughs> it's a wonderful book, such insight. And here's a man who's been on a spiritual journey, a long spiritual journey. He's been tutored by the best. He's studied, he's, he's looked to God. And at the end of it, he, he very honestly and transparently says, oh, I can identify myself in the younger brother. Oh, I can identify myself in the elder brother. Oh, but he comes to a different conclusion. If you will uh, indulge me, I'll just tell you a little of my story. And, and I'd probably divide it into almost three equal parts. But I grew up in a, in a very wealthy family. No, I don't share this sort of stuff. Family owned a very large iron foundry and engineering business in England and employed about 600 people, so it wasn't a little little concern. I was educated in one of the top English public schools, at a boarding school. We lived on a big house on acreage. We owned horses, had a boat. Hooray, hooray, hooray. Being the eldest son of over five generations, Samuel, 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 Michael. Samuel, <laughs> there's five generations. Um, isn't that funny? You know, you look at names, Samuel, 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 Michael. Being the eldest son, I was destined for a position in the family business. But at age 15, the wheels fell off. My dear mum died tragically of cancer <clears throat> and my wonderful granny died in the same year. Dad lost his wife and his mum. <clears throat> he very unwisely remarried too quickly. It was quite, I'm not getting emotional, it's just I've got a <clears throat> frog, but I might be getting emotional too. Um, that was a tough time. He unwisely remarried too quickly and it broke our family up. I dropped out of school at 17. I left home, 17. You know, we look at kids today and we think, I oh, was 17, left home. And I started drinking heavily. I was angry, I was hurting. And after a few years in the wilderness where my promising career in the family business turned or morphed into progression to a job, I was a farm labourer, <clears throat> picking potatoes. And a little later on I got an even better job. I was a deckhand on a fishing boat on the North Sea in the middle of winter. Hmm. Well, after a couple of years, Dad rang me up and he said, Come home, boy, I got you a job. And I was sent to London where a position was created for me in a large engineering factory. I lived and worked there for a couple of years before I was sent to Germany for 12 months. That's how it was. You know, oh, boy, you're going to, the common market's coming up, you need to learn a language. Hmm, Germany. Pack your bag. That was the life I lived with my father. Hmm. I was then 21. I came home broke and with ulcers from drinking too much beer. <laughs> that was my sole token thing. I didn't have any money. All I got was a pain in my gut. I was still an emotional mess and I was lost. I did work for my dad for a short time and we didn't get on and I was 
very badly behaved. And that is a very English understatement. I was dreadful. I'm embarrassed when I think about what I did or didn't do. But then, finally, about age 24, I met up again with an old close friend of mine who was visiting. He'd come back from Australia, um, from Adelaide, where he'd emigrated some years before. He'd done the 10-pound pond job and came back to visit his family. I could see that he'd changed. He was very much at peace and he found something that had changed his life. So within a few months of, of meeting him, I turned my back on my family, the business, and I booked a one-way ticket. Why did I do that? A one-way ticket. And I set off to find myself. And as I reconnected here with my friend in Adelaide, he took me to church, which I was very hesitant to go to, mind you, where Jesus revealed himself to me. He found me. It was an amazing encounter, and my conversion really was just like one out of the book of Acts. There were all sorts of supernatural occurrences. I had visions. It was actually a vision. Uh, my, my friend's fiancé at the time actually had a vision of me going forward and giving my life to Christ in the old Crusade Hall, David. Uh, actually going forward, she actually saw me in a vision. God was praying about this wretched man that was coming from England that was going to take her, uh, t- take her boyfriend away and, and, uh, uh yeah, anyway. She, she had every right to be frightened, I can tell you. Um, but she, God said to her, don't worry. I've got this. I've got this. This man's in my, in my palm of my hand. She saw a vision. And when I came to the Lord, the Lord revealed himself in the vision. I've seen the Lord in the vision. And I don't brag about this. It's stuff I don't like to talk about it because you think, wow, wow. The, the prophetic words. I'd be sitting here just like you, quietly sitting in church, and the speaker would go, you there, you, you there, the moustache sitting down there. What should I say? Yeah. And then he'd start prophesying and telling me my life story. I'd never met the man. Hairs on the back of your head go up. My conversion was extraordinary. But a very important part of this new life was meeting the lovely Bev and her wonderful, warm and welcoming family. And they were amazing for not what I had experienced, but a family that loved and embraced you and, 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 and being British, they hugged me. I was terrified. Ah! Oh, <laughs> and not only her welcoming family, but her church community. Jesus Christ has changed my life. And I've experienced over and over again his reality, his presence, and his peace, and his faithfulness. The second part of the chapter is I joined the church and started serving. But looking back now, I can see that the emphasis was building the church, working for God, but very little emphasis on building a relationship with God. You know, it's interesting, isn't it, how we put the emphasis with doing something for God, just like the elder brother. In practice, I became a good churchman, not necessarily a good follower of Jesus. Theological terms, for those that like big words, my sanctification became my justification. In other words, because I'd set myself apart to serve God, I felt justified. That's not what it's about, is it? Our justification comes through Jesus and Jesus alone. So, just like the Pharisees, my good works became the way I mainly related to God. It did not endear me to my extended family. They thought I'd got religion. I think they were right. I also got Jesus, but I got a lot of religion. 
and it was partly true. But during those years and the many trips back to my family, and we went back many, many times because I was estranged from my family, I was able to, by God's grace, to rebuild a good relationship with him, especially with my dad. And at his 80th birthday, I told him, although he hadn't been the perfect father, neither was I the perfect son, but I respected and honoured him and I told him that I loved him. He was very embarrassed. Don't you ever say such things again in public. (laughs) But something changed in our relationship from that day. And when Dad died some years later, I gave the eulogy and was able to say that he and I had no unfinished business. There would have been all that could have been more. But we came to respect our differences. He came to accept that I was different. I was never really destined to be the heir of the family business. And in, and the, in fact, we actually came in our own funny way to love each other in our own rather British ways. But it was a very warm and unusual, but there was a, an amazing change. I was no longer lost. I'd come home. In more recent years, in what is now called maybe the third chapter, and perhaps this is the most challenging time that I've had to face, as I work out my salvation with fear and trembling, it's not as that my salvation's in doubt about where I'm going, where I'm headed, but in the sense of I have had to face myself, to actually realise it's not all about me. I tell you what, it's a terrible and humbling experience. And I mean that sincerely. You asked my bed. I was absolutely rocked to the core when I realised suddenly, I'm very slow. I thought, thank goodness you're not like me. But I was just this, this point where I go, oh my goodness. As a friend says, you sit on the edge of your bed And you're thinking about life and you're pondering and you go, oh, my goodness, it's not about me. It's very frightening. I hope hope you don't have to experience that because you worked it out that it's all about God. But I'm very slow. I told you that. As I contemplate much of my life, I painfully saw and continue to see that it has been more about me than anything else. I'm still grappling with that. And as I start to read more widely and reflect and consider the the lives of others who've gone on before me, I'm beginning to realise that God does not want me to remain in some areas as the younger brother or grow up to be more like the older brother in faithful duty, but actually to become like the father. This is the third and most important stage of the story. And let me just read a little bit from from Henry. He says, I'm now faced with the hard and seemingly impossible task of letting go of the child within me. Paul says it clearly. When I was a child, I used to talk like a child and see things as a child and do things and think like a child. But now I've become an adult. I've finished with all my childish ways. It is the comfortable It is comfortable to be the wayward younger son or the elder angry son. Poor, that's sharp words. Our community is full of wayward and angry children. 
And being surrounded by peers gives us a sense of solidarity. Well, they're all like me. I'm like that. I can't help it. Yet the longer I'm part of the community, the more the solitary solidarity proves to be the only way station on the road to a much more lonely destination. The loneliness of the Father. The loneliness of God. The ultimate loneliness of compassion. It is a lonely journey. It's a lonely journey for Father waiting for his kids to come home. The community doesn't need yet another or a younger or elder son, whether converted or not, but a father who lives with outstretched hands, always desiring to let them rest on the shoulders of his returning children. Aren't they beautiful words? What a, what a journey this man has been on. How, how honest he is. I just so encouraged you to read the book. So Rembrandt portrays the father as a man who has transcended the ways of his children. His own loneliness and anger may have been there in Rembrandt, but they've been transformed by suffering and tears. And that's what you see in that man, is the old man who's nearly blind, getting to the end of his life, been through hardship and suffering. But look at him, lonely, blessing, enjoying his kids' coming home. Can I let the younger or the elder son grow in me to maturity of the compassionate father? And that's the challenge for us, isn't it? Whether we will want to stay the, the child, whichever brother you may or may not relate to. And some of you are a long way up on this journey. And I'm, I'm please, I'm not, I'm not trying to tell it. I'm just telling my own story, telling you that, but I tell you what, I've never been closer to God. I've never enjoyed my life more. The challenges, yes, the stuff that's going down, but it only strengthens my resolve to push forward into this God, to meet with him, to see the God that has planned this universe, that holds it all together in his hands, and he's chosen you and I. What an enormous privilege. Being confident of this, he that began a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. We're on that journey. God's promise, God's faithful. He will bring it to pass. This is partly what that beautiful picture represents, us coming home, being with the Father, ultimately like him. That's what I think it's all about. God's looking for mothers and fathers. Doesn't want kids. He says, please grow up. Do the journey. Read the books. So home is not so much as a destination, but a relationship. Home is where the heart is. So we've seen Jesus' parable, your story, my story. A picture here, what it resembles part of somebody else's story. Perhaps in the parable, the hardest conversion to go through is the conversion of the brother who stayed at home. Will you trust God with your heart? Thanks, Nelly. Where are you drawing your significance from? Will you be found? Will you be found? And let that process of growing up continue?
Will you accept the challenge to grow up? Will you take that lonely spiritual journey to become a father and be a source of blessing? Father God, we just thank you for an amazing story Jesus tells us. Lord, your father's heart towards your children. How, Lord, you want us to come home. Oh, God, how you want to bless us and encourage us and to be with you, Lord, that we may turn in turn become a source of blessing. Lord, thank you that you are at work within us and that you are faithful and you have promised. Help us to respond to you this morning. And uh, Nadine, just pray. Oh, sorry, you're not Nadine. If you could just play, play just quietly. The lovely chorus that we sing from time to time. Change my heart. Oh God, make it ever true. Change my heart, oh God. May I be like you. You're the potter, I'm the clay. Mould me and make me. This is what I pray. Change my heart, oh God. Make it ever true. Change my heart, oh God. May I be like you. Would you like to stand with me and we'll just sing that story together? No, this is just big pause. Please stand, sorry. And just play that quietly. Uh, Kathy will be so kind. And just, just pause for a moment. Just talk to Father. Don't be embarrassed to talk to Dad. Say, God, I got it wrong. Lord, I've tried to find my significance in other places other than you. Sweet Spirit, reveal Jesus to us. Lord Jesus, thank you that you reveal the Father. You reveal his heart. You are the perfect man. Oh, Father God. Daddy. Daddy, 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 Daddy. Lord, I know our earthly fathers fail us sometimes and we get muddled up by that. But you, oh God, as our heavenly Father, you never fail us. Your faithfulness is forever. Change our hearts, Lord. Let us be more like you. Let's just sing that quietly together. Change my heart, oh God. Make it ever true. Mike, thanks um, so much for being available to share what is a strong message from the Lord. Uh, I know it would probably be easy for you to have been elsewhere today with things that are going on, but I uh, really appreciate you being here uh, to share from the Scripture, from those who've written, but also from your life. Um, yeah, I guess my prayer for all of us this morning is that... Uh, we go from here today and into the week and those those words and that wisdom will just rest on us and just cause us to draw closer to God and get our focus right. Um, yeah, and just our walk will be stronger with him as a result. So um, that's that's the end of the, the formalities for this morning. There's, there's an opportunity to, to hang back for a while and catch up for a chat and a coffee uh there's an area um people probably know of the the grass area out the back as well where kids can go and uh, play and parents uh 
please feel free to, to grab a drink and go out there and just uh, be with your kids as well. So there's sort of two areas to mingle. If you uh, feel the need for someone to stand with you to pray this morning, uh, as always, there will be someone in the prayer room just, just to the right as you're going out the back as well to have someone and just, just stand, stand with you and pray over any matter that you'd like to pray about. So, yeah, trust you've uh, heard from the Lord this morning. Um, yeah, just hope you go on and have a have a, a great week um, together with people and with the Lord. And yeah, we look forward to catching up again next week. Thanks.